Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Good afternoon. Oh, my goodness. What a morning it is. You're here listening live to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, uh, YouTube, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say. I say it every show. Just go to the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, the radio chick, and nuts as always, along with my oh-so-courageous Curtis as my co-host. That's your new nickname, Curtis. <laughs> Courageous. Courageous Curtis Sound like a as superhero. my co-host. Yeah. Mightier than the speeding uh, building. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Speeding bullet? <laughs> whatever. Bullet or whatever. Oh, Faster man. than a Trump train. Uh, How's that? A Trump train. <laughs> Faster than Trump. Whoa. That's a speeding <laughs> bullet, that's for sure. Oh, man, there is so much to talk about. We've got uh, a couple of great guests. Unfortunately, we were supposed to have Brian Maloney, who is one of the co-founders of Media uh, uh, Equalizer. He had to back out last minute. Uh, but we still have author Seamus Bruner with us. Uh, also, we have uh, our returning guest, Michael Doherty. He was the author of De- Devil in the Beltway, a cybersecurity expert. We ha- Oh, good Lord. With everything that's going on with Facebook, Google, and, oh, go- Twitter, oh, we're going to have an absolute blast today. Yeah. And there's so much going on in the news to cover that it all intermingles with this the firing of Peter Strzok. Oh, my goodness. Brian, uh, not Brian, Seamus Bruna has a book out, a uh, bestseller. Um, it is called uh, Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption. Everything that you see in the news today is in his book. It's all about all that's going on right now. So we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. And I don't even know where to start. Anyway, <laughs> want to welcome those. Yeah, I know. I'm nuts today. You know, that's what I get for let my husband let me sleep late. <sighs> hey, like you I get said, up on I the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> We're so old. We, we, we both... have to do these things now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh jeez. Anyway, um, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Reserve Police Officer Christopher Michael Lawton of Zachary Police Department from Louisiana. His end of watch was Monday. And this is from The Advocate. And it reads from Olivia McClure. 
Chris Lawton was known in Zachary for his good deeds, both in and out of uniform. The one he wore as deputy fire chief and the other as reserve police officer. He was a quiet man who never bragged about the burning buildings he rushed into or the countless people he helped. Those who knew him wanted everyone at his funeral to know that about him. Lending a hand was not something he did for praise, they said, but because he felt called to serve others. That, along with his deep faith and love for his family, guided everything he did. The accolades he never sought in life came as he was laid to rest. Lawton, 41, died Monday, March 12, 2018, when a suspect he was trying to arrest ran him over with a U-Haul truck outside a Walmart in Baker. Officials have said Lawton's the first in Zachary's police department history. Two people were arrested after a Zachary firefighter and part-time volunteer police officer was run over by the vehicle and killed. His funeral was held at Zachary United Methodist Church. He was an active member there, and his grandfather once served as the church's pastor. Lawton's funeral drew a large crowd that included law enforcement officers, firefighters, and paramedics from around Louisiana. A few came from as far away as Boston and Chicago. Many wore black mourning bands on their badges. American flags lined the grass in front of the church. A Zachary police vehicle was parked outside, and some flower arrangements had been placed on the hood. Black wreaths with blue and red ribbons, symbolizing Lawton's service in both the police and the fire departments, sat nearby. Christopher Lawton was both a firefighter and a policeman for the city of Zacharyth, so his death was a double blow to his community. After the church service, Lawton's flag-draped casket was brought outside. The flag was removed, folded, and presented to his family. A long procession of firefighters and first responders' vehicles and the hearse carrying Lawton passed under a giant American flag hung from the ladders of the two fire trucks parked on Main Street in front of the fire station. People lined both sides of the road, many of them holding flags and taking photos and videos on their cell phones. The procession continued to a cemetery in the Clinton area where Lawton was buried in a private ceremony. During his funeral, Lawton was described as a man who always tried to do the right thing. Quote, he was a leader of men and led his men by example, said Zachary Fire Chief Danny Kimball. His men respected him and looked up to him. Chris and asked him to take care of something. That's just what he did. No hesitation, and I knew it was in good hands, and I didn't have to worry about anything else. Lawton joined the fire service in 1996 as a member of the District 6 Fire Department. It was there that Butch Browning, a former District 6 chief who is now the state fire marshal, got to know Lawton. I can remember him in training as a young fighter fire. I remember fighting fires in Glen Oaks with him. And this boy gave his all, Browning said in an interview before the funeral. This boy trained, never had a crossword, 
never disrespectful. He looked at every citizen that he did not know as his own family. For him to be a professional in the fire department and also pursue a profession in the law enforcement field, it speaks to his character, he added. In 1998, Lawton moved to the Zachary Fire Department, which would honor him with several awards during his career, including a Medical Lifesaver Award. Ten years later, in 2008, Lawton decided to join the Zachary Police Reserves after a long talk with David Courtney, who was the assistant police chief at the time. Courtney asked Lawton why he wanted to be an officer. He recalled Lawton's answer. I don't like what's going on, and I can't complain if I'm not part of the solution. Lawton could be mischievous and enjoyed pulling practical jokes, Courtney said, but he had a serious side, too, that was strongly shaped by his faith. If it wasn't right, Chris Lawton didn't want any part of it. Chris lived every day to be like Jesus and to give back, Courtney said. He and others at the funeral told stories of Lawton helping people over the years. On his days off, he would load a lawnmower into the back of his truck and drive around town, checking if anyone needed help cutting grass. One time on vacation in Mexico, Lawton saved the life of a man who was having a heart attack. He once drove by an elderly man. Forgive me. He once drove by an elderly homeless couple sitting on a bench outside, then turned around to buy them plates of red beans, rice, and cornbread from a nearby store. Police Chief David McDavid said Lawton logged more than 2,000 hours as a reserve officer. That's a lot of hours to give back to your community, to make sure it is a safe place so that each and every one of you can walk safely among these streets, McDavid said. He thanked Lawton's wife, Shannon, for sharing your husband who made a difference in this community. The chief choked up as he spoke to Lawton's son and daughter, Marshall and Claire. Your dad will forever be remembered for his service, his bravery, and his sacrifice, McDavid said. Chad Phelps, a Zachary police officer who was with Lawton on that Monday. The two had known each other for about four years. We had a plan that night to execute, Phelps said. I cannot change what happened. It's selfish for any of us to think otherwise. God needed Chris, obviously more than we did. God let Chris live a life that impacts us all in vain. Today's show is dedicated to Reserve Police Officer Christopher Michael Lawton. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement officers, firefighters, or emergency responders. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military, from the birth of this nation, through today, and into tomorrow. May God bless each and every one of them. And we dedicate to them 
this song by Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
music at ToddAllenShow.com. And we're back. You're listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, The Lone Star, Daily News, up on iTunes, YouTube, Stritzer, Spreaker, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a hyphen in the middle, Southern-Sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chick, Annie. And also, go to our webpage, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, Southern-Sense, Check out Earthwater. Please click on that link. Become an affiliate. That way you get the, the Earthwater at the wholesale price. Check it out. And then you then, in turn, can sell it and you earn the commission. Not me, you. So I'm putting something out there just for my listeners. Check it out, Earthwater, on our website. Again, I'm your hostess with the most history, your chick Annie, along with my co-host, Courageous Curtis. And we got our victim <laughs> up on the line. And... Oh, my goodness, Curtis, what a timing for this gentleman to come on the show. Let's welcome aboard Seamus Brunner. Seamus, what a time for you to come on with everything that just hit the news yesterday. If anything, and this is the day your book goes on sale officially, what timing? What timing God has given you? (laughs) Has he? Oh, wait a minute. we got to unmute him. Uh, We can't talk to him unless we unmute him. Sorry about that. We can't walk and chew bubblegum at the same time on the show, Seamus. So welcome aboard. Uh, It's great to be with you, Annie. Thanks for having me. Yes, the timing is uh, providential. Isn't it? I'm... Yes, we got you. You're a little faint, so if you get a little closer to your phone, that'd be better. Um, but, I mean, I, I'm listening to the news yesterday, and I'm watching all the talking heads, and I'm laughing my butt off, and I'm saying, what what providence brought you to the show? Today, your book is officially out there on sale. It's called Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption, and Peter Strzok got fired officially yesterday and your book is on sale today oh my goodness i mean i don't even know where to start at that point i know it's uh it's it's great it's been a long time coming he's he's needed to go for a while and as i was writing the book over the past several months you know i'm thinking to myself how is this guy still at the fbi when do i get to add him to the list of people who've been fired and And it is a long list it is. It is a very, very long list. And I, I, was, I was always amazed that Lisa Strzok still kept her top secret you know, clearance. He still was hired there. He still has top secret. I mean, these guys are leaving government service, and they take with them their, their security clearances, and they profit on them, too, which amazes me. I mean, whenever I left a business, you hand over the keys, you walk out, the door hits you in the butt, and that's it. Goodbye. But are these government people just get such a, a pass. It's amazing. That's absolutely right. Uh, one of the first, one of the things my book does for the first time ever is follow the money from people like Peter Strzok and really more importantly James Comey and Robert Mueller and follow how they cash in through the Washington revolving door, really more of a perpetual turnstile. But you're right. They get to keep their security clearances. That makes them very uh, you know, valuable to major corporations, defense contractors, and the like. And uh, yeah, they, you know, many people don't know James Comey, Robert Mueller are multimillionaires. You know, they have this image of being uh, public servants or Boy Scouts, but they take a few years off. They go into the private sector, and 
cash in and make millions and then come right back. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a real it, problem it is, in Washington. It is. It is. It's it's a money pit. And people go to D.C. to become multimillionaires, in some cases billionaires. And it's 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 if you or I were to do one-tenth or even one percent of what they do, we'd be, hot, be behind bars. That's absolutely right. Uh, an example is uh, Martha Stewart, a great example I use often is Martha Stewart. And her story is mentioned in the book. James Comey and Robert Mueller really went after Martha Stewart. And when you look at what she did, it's really just about $40,000 in timely stock trades. You know, insider trading is no joke. It's a very serious problem. And I'm not saying Martha Stewart's innocent, but they threw the book. They actually didn't even get her on insider trading. They got her on lying to the FBI. It seems to be a favored tactic of theirs, um, kind of these perjury traps that they set. But, yeah, uh, Washington is a money pit. Uh, I work for Peter Schweitzer at the Government Accountability Institute, and we've been trying to expose the cronyism and corruption for the past five years. And one special we did was called Boomtown. It was on Fox News. It was an hour-long special. And it shows that Washington, D.C. is the America's newest boomtown. You know, you had the gold rush in California, you know, oil rush in Texas. Well, Washington, and then more recently, Silicon Valley. Well, Washington just passed Silicon Valley as the, you know, has seven of the 10 highest per capita incomes in America. Seven of the 10 richest counties in America border Washington, D.C. And for a town that doesn't produce any goods, it's kind of alarming. Yeah, it is strange because when you think of prosperity, you think about, you know, an industry comes into this area or agriculture goes into this area or something else. But Washington, D.C. produces nothing, nothing except for laws and regulations and just power grab. It has it produces nothing. And then you wonder why socialism is becoming such a favorite topic in today's world, why so much our youth are promoting socialism because it produces nothing except tyranny, power grab. That's absolutely right. They, they don't produce anything. All they do is, you know, suck up our money and take our money from us. And, you know, socialist types would like to raise taxes and they don't believe that you and I know what to do with our own money. They think the government and the bureaucrats in Washington know how to spend our money better. And kind of a funny example of that uh peter struck who was as you mentioned just fired on friday long overdue he set up a gofundme page a crowdfunding page uh yeah. for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> and in 10 hours he had reached his limit he had gotten thousands of thousands of contributions and he now has upped his limit to two to excuse me three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And so you got to wonder who out there is thinking that a man like Peter Strzok is worthy of their money. And I guess it's the types who just want to send all their money to Washington. You know, I have to laugh because uh, I think uh, shortly after portions of their text messages between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page was put out there, uh, friends of the show. Um, Philem and Ann McElerney uh, put out a little video of the two of them texting the messages. 
and it's it's like a 45 minute video that they have up on their YouTube page and you you just look at what they were texting each other it was so sophomoric and here you have two individuals doing this on government time on government property texting each other on planning how to prevent Trump from becoming president and why aren't there criminal charges here it's unbelievable. The, the text messages, as you mentioned, they're just they're shocking. And they, they show such unprecedented levels of bias and animus towards uh, President Trump and his supporters. I mean, just as an example, uh, you know, your viewers may not have read through the 50,000 text messages, and I don't blame them. But, you know, Peter Strzok is, I'm down here at Walmart, and oh, my gosh, you could just smell the Trump support. It's just, I mean, they, you know, dehumanizing <laughs> Trump supporters. So it's, it's really uh, shocking stuff. And you definitely have the text messages saying, we'll stop Trump and, you know, we're, we'll create an insurance policy against the Trump presidency. And, you know, these are, the, the media paints Peter Strzok and Lisa Page as kind of these low level FBI agent, FBI lawyer. These were like, you know, three and four star generals in the FBI. They were running multiple investigations. I mean, the most, you know, highly classified top secret type investigations into not just Hillary Clinton, but the Trump Russia probe and having them quarterback it really unset is really unsettling. Well, you know, what people don't realize, and you know, everyone goes to Walmart, we call it Wally world, but Walmart out of little rock, Arkansas, does that town ring a bell? Little Rock, Arkansas, Clinton uh, is not favorable to Trump. Matter of fact, Walmart recently got in trouble because they had anti-Trump T-shirts they were selling. Do you think they had anti-Obama T-shirts? No. But Trump gets elected and Walmart was selling these anti-Trump T-shirts. Little Rock, Arkansas, where Walmart is from, guys, and he's making fun of the customers. So he's making fun of his own Democratic progressive base. He's not making fun of us. Hello? I don't think Sam Walton would have allowed that if he was still alive. I don't think Sam Walton (laughs) would really appreciate that (laughs) in his business. Oh, man. The irony is totally lost on them, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, Walmart Walmart is a is an interesting uh company and all the all the major companies from Little Rock, Arkansas are interesting companies. You get you've got Tyson Foods, uh you've got Dillard's, which has kinda of gone out of business. They're actually all Clinton connected, but another another uh let me see. Sorry, one Did second. We lose I had a call. I had a, no, no. I apologize. I had a call come in, and I need to find a way to disable that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> back to back to Little Rock. There's these massive companies that became Fortune 100 companies in just a few years. And you know, my book's not getting into all of that. But there's one company in particular from Little Rock that is in my book, and it's a data management firm called Axiom, A C X I O M. And kind of bringing it back to Comey and Mueller, Axiom was uh, a company that gathers all the data on consumers and sells it for advertising purposes. It's a massive company that most people have never heard of. But uh, in the wake of 9-11, they helped build or at least uh, plan the massive surveillance state that we've seen just grow out of control. 
and they did it with uh, databases. And Robert Mueller got ties, and the Clint- it's got ties from Robert Mueller to the Clintons. And uh, it's it's discussed in depth in my book. And I think a lot of people would be really unsettled by what Axiom collects on them and what Axiom provides to the FBI, the T- the TSA, the, the NSA. And um, it's just another crony crony company that's helping build the surveillance state that helps make Robert Mueller and James Comey very, very rich in a short amount of time. I got a question. Yeah, it is very um, frightening. Go ahead, Curtis. We know the deep state runs deep. I was just curious if um, any military brass is a part of the deep state because I'm starting to hear um, rumblings from the left that maybe the military should take control of the country because um, Trump is such a, you know, a liability to to America's, um, you know, reputation, things like that. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't, I hope the military doesn't take control of the country. Uh, I, I haven't heard anything about that, but that sounds pretty serious. Um, I think uh, when you mentioned the deep state, uh, the F, I would say the FBI and the DOJ are kind of the heart of the swamp. Uh, someone was just talking to me the other day and said they're really the deep state of the deep state, that is the FBI and the DOJ. And, but not uh, the military. Uh, I think I think uh, the vast majority of people employed by the FBI, the DOJ, and especially the military are honest, hardworking, patriotic Americans. I think the real problem is uh, that one percent living in Washington D.C., operating on the seventh floor, kind of calling the shots. Uh, the, the James Comeys and the Robert Mueller's, uh, the Peter Strucks, Rod Rosenstein types. I think they have an agenda that's contrary to the populist agenda of Donald Trump, and I think that's why you see so much resistance and why you see, um, you know, this this insurance policy, or you know, now known as Spygate. I mean, it's really unprecedented in American history. People, you know, the one example in most people's mind is Watergate. And if you know, people who don't remember Watergate, I, I certainly wasn't alive during that time, but. That was just a small team of burglars breaking into, you know, the Watergate Hotel to install a listening device. And today it's every single digital communication, text messages, emails, phone calls. That's all collected and it's stored and it's available for retroactive searches uh, using what's called a FISA warrant. Some people may have heard that term. It's rapidly becoming a household known, household known term. Yeah. James Comey and Robert Mueller are actually instrumental in creating this so-called kind of surveillance state. It really exploded after 9-11, and if anybody knows Robert Mueller's history, he became FBI director just one week before 9-11, and, you know, that's a hard thing to come onto the job and have to deal with. But he has been an outspoken, you know, proponent of expanding things like the Patriot Act and expanding things like FISA Act 
which stands for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Uh, so he, he really pushed for the expansion of these um, kind of surveillance tools. And then he and James Comey go cash in on the private sector working for two of the biggest spy contractors. James, I'll just, I'll just lay the numbers out for you here. James Comey left the federal government. He was at the DOJ in 2004 in uh, actually Rod Rosenstein's position. James Comey was formerly the deputy attorney general. He left that post and went to Lockheed Martin. And by the way, he had no private sector experience like that, never been the general counsel of a major corporation, least of all the largest defense contractor in human history. Lockheed Martin gets about 45 to $50 billion every year. 95% of that comes from American taxpayers. And they paid James Comey $6.1 million in a single year. So you got to wonder, what is a guy like James Comey making that much money for having no experience like that? And uh, I, I write about it in the book. He and Robert Mueller worked sort of as a tag team or a, uh, a pitcher and a catcher. Uh, Robert Mueller's FBI gave Lockheed Martin multiple hundred, hundreds of million-dollar contracts, uh, including a billion-dollar contract in the year 2008. And uh, that billion-dollar contract, while James Comey's kind of serving as an executive senior vice president and general counsel, was for a program called Next Generation Identification. It was a facial recognition program by the FBI, kind of like their APHIS, which is the fingerprint scanning um, program, but to turn your face into a fingerprint. And so Robert Mueller passes a billion-dollar contract to James Comey's private employer, while James Comey's private employer, Lockheed Martin, is paying Comey many millions of dollars. And he's got no experience running that. So, you know, you got to kind of think, probably for his experience, you know, legalizing or, you know, providing legal uh, counsel for how to run these type of programs without violating civil liberties. And then, well, you know, uh, your Robert book is Mueller, absolutely, you're, I'm sorry, go I was right going to say, your book, is absolutely, your book is absolutely fascinating because it shows the incestuous relationship, and there's no other way to explain it, between Rod Rosenstein, uh, Moeller, and Comey, and uh, or including their wives, too, because Rod Rosenstein's wife, who happens to be an attorney, and I cannot pronounce her last name. I'm not even going to attempt to try to pronounce Rod Rosenstein's wife's last name. But the members that she has uh, represented, including the Clintons, and then her mysterious email account that is through the National Institute of Health, you know, one of the branches of government, so why is she working for one area and has an email account in a different area unless she's not a CIA operative within the government? I mean, there's so much that is just intertwined, how Mueller had been the mentor to Comey, how Comey and Mueller were best friends and all hung out with Rod Rosenstein, and how now the Mueller investigation does not include a single Republican on the investigative team, and where all the donations go to Democrats, not to Republicans. It is it's so. There's no other way to say it. It's incestuous. It's it's so incestuous. It's, it's incestuous and it's it's swampy. And you make a great point about the spouses. 
one of the things I talk about in my book. It's, it's very interesting how the spouses of these people, Peter Strzok, uh, Rod Rosenstein, uh, his wife, I, I, I've never heard it. I've only read it, but I'm going to guess it's Lisa Barsoomian. Barsoomian is just kind of how I imagine it sounds. But uh, they don't, the, the spouses keep, keep their last names. They don't take their last names when they have these kind of tag team power couples. Peter Strzok's wife named Melissa Hodgman, she was working at the SEC. In fact, she was appointed to a top position at the SEC by Barack Obama shortly before the uh, 2016 election. And you kind of wonder, was this some sort of payback for the, you know, operations that Peter Strzok was handling and uh, the exoneration of Hillary Clinton before they'd even interviewed her? And uh, it's, it's really maddening. And, yeah, swampy and incestuous is a good way of describing it. Uh, and there's so much to talk about in your book. And everything you wrote in your book, even though it's, it's only being released today, everything is still going on. So I can imagine a part two coming out probably in another six months because there's so much that is being revealed at this point. And I thank you. I thank you for you know putting this out there and actually putting it down in writing so people can understand it. Oh yeah, thank you. It's been a moving target. It was a difficult, difficult project. Uh, a publisher had sent a link to us uh, in late late January. Uh, it was a Michael Goodwin piece from the New York Post, and it said there's a scandal brewing at the FBI, and I've, I've worked, just as an aside, I've worked for Peter Schweitzer for over five years. And a couple of years into working for Peter Schweitzer, I started to realize, you know, at the end of every project, we kind of just smack our heads and say, how on earth is this allowed to persist like this? Why is there no one going to jail? And I kind of realized it's the Department of Justice who defends people like the Clintons and everyone else, the Department of Justice defends government officials. They're the, they're the lawyer. And so each project kind of led back in very tangential ways to the Department of Justice and led me to believe, wow, the Department of Justice is really kind of the problem here. And so I had wanted to do a project on the Department of Justice for several years. And the publisher has a link in January. And I said, right, I would love to do this. This would be amazing. And this was kind of before... I mean, as I said, the headline was there's a scandal brewing at the FBI. I was aware of it, but not nearly. I mean, so much has come out since then. But it was it was really a moving target because I got started uh, February 1st and actually had the draft to the publisher uh, by April 1st. And I don't think I could have done it that quickly if I hadn't been passionate about exposing DOJ and FBI corruption. But... Since then, you know, no. you have the Inspector General's report and all of this news came out, and I would go to the publisher, and he's been so gracious. And I said, we really need to get this in there, and he would allow me to make a few insertions here or there. I kind of wish Strzok had been fired, but actually it's uh, providential because now I get to talk about it. <laughs> that that you do. <laughs> and it's funny because um, when uh, the Hillary Clinton email scandal broke, and they said they were putting um, 
call me in charge of the investigation. And Curtis, you'll attest to this for years. <laughs> it was it, the email scandal broke when Obama was still in office, and I said, "Why do you expect anything to come out of the investigation when Comey was the one in charge of the Whitewater investigation? He was in charge of Travelgate. He was in charge yep. of investigating the Chinese money donations made to the Hillary Clinton do- uh, campaign for Senate." For the Senate seat out of New York, here out of Chinatown, where most of these people can't afford to donate any more than five or ten dollars, they were seeing thousands of dollars coming out of these poor households of Chinese immigrants. That was never uh, pursued. Uh, the Mark Rich pardon, uh, the suicide of Vince Foster, and then we come up to the email server. Why would we ever think that Comey was nothing more than a Clinton puppet? And yet everyone kept on saying, oh, Comey, he, he worked under uh, Robert Mueller, and he's even-handed. We think he's honest. And the, 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 Mueller is a Republican, a registered Republican. Does it mean he votes Republican? It, it was just, it was out there. It was in front of everyone's face, and yet no one paid attention until now. Why? I know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and, even, I mean, one of the benefits of Trump, even critics have to kind of agree, is it's he's one he's awakened, awoken the American people. I mean, on both sides, for eight years we we at the Government Accountability Institute have been trying to shine a light on corruption, and half the country's like, oh, there's no corruption. You know, the Democrats, you know, the, oh, the government is fine. There's nothing corrupt about it. Well, now they're waking up, and now they're starting to find out how things work. And so that's that's one benefit. And the other is he's really exposed the real allegiances of this. I mean, some people call it the deep state. Some call it the uniparty. It's it's the elites in Washington. Peter Schweitzer, he calls it the permanent political class. And it's it's a class really above all other classes. You know, they ride around private jets and skip the line at the airport, take your seat if they have to. And, uh, yeah, so uh, this this uniparty includes James Comey and Robert Mueller. In fact, most of the characters in my book are Republicans, or at least registered Republicans. Andrew McCabe, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, you know, no one knew that these guys weren't Republicans. So, I mean, in just last year, many of my colleagues were saying, "Oh, James Comey seems fair." I was like, "I don't know," because um, as you said, is a great thing you pointed out. He oversaw the. Whitewater investigation and all of the many Clinton gates. I mean, he specifically was overseeing the Vince Foster suicide and uh, the related file gate where Vince Foster's files somehow ended up in the residence of the White House with Hillary Clinton's fingerprints on them. And then they disappeared, of course, kind of like the smashed blackberries and acid washed server. You you kind of sense a theme here. (laughs) Uh, One thing, you know, a lot of people don't know is Rod Rosenstein got his start under Robert Mueller in 1990 in the criminal division. So these guys know each other. They go back, the relationships go back decades and they kind of weave in and out of government cashing in for a couple of years, making a couple million dollars here. Uh, just, you know, one of the things that shocked me about James Comey's riches was he got $500,000 for unused vacation time in a single year. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I get two weeks wow. vacation a year. <laughs> two weeks vacation well, you know, a year. So what is he getting? You know, they say justice. You know, they say justice is blind. 
But when you look back at people like Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, Robert Mueller, James Comey, and Rosenstein, it seems like justice is corrupt. Will we ever get back to the days when we have um, honorable people holding these positions in Washington? Uh, It's something I ask myself every day. I hope so. I will say that when you look at the aggregate, I have it in a footnote in my book, the number of firings, resignations, and disgrace, or otherwise demotions, it's top 25 individuals. And if you include all the uh, U.S. attorneys, which is a top position at the DOJ, uh, there's been over 50 individuals fired from the Justice Department. And uh, like I said, the Justice Department is kind of the heart of the swamp. It's it's really the uh, the drain stop on the swamp. So I think I think we're moving in the right direction by getting rid of people like Peter Strzok and James Comey and Andrew McCabe. And uh, so I, I'm optimistic. I know a lot of people aren't optimistic, but I I'm just hoping it takes some time here, and I think we're seeing things move forward in a good direction. Well, Seamus, I think with your book being released today, today is the preview of your book. People can go onto Amazon and get it. Matter of fact, as people are listening to the podcast, they can click on the link where it says Compromise and go straight to the Amazon uh, and get your book, Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive the FBI. But I thought it was so uh, strange that Trump had just put out a tweet questioning the the wisdom of hiring just Jeff Sessions as his attorney general. I see Jeff Sessions leaving very soon. I see, I'm going to see, I, I believe we're going to see within the next couple of months, Rosenstein leaving, a Mueller investigation closing off. Matter of fact, Manafort's trial is ending today. It's going to the jury. Uh, I turned around to my husband and I said, with Paul Manafort, they're threatening 60 years behind bars. I see him getting 10 months. He gets a Martha Stewart sentence. As you mentioned, Martha Stewart, you know, she was she was castigated. Look what they did to Flynn over an alleged lie, which turns out probably not even to be a lie. Uh, he gets castigated. He's now bankrupt. Uh, so I, I don't see this de- uh, Department of Justice lasting as it stands right now. There's going to have to be a major turnover within the next three to six months. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I uh, I go back and forth on sessions, and I, I'm still optimistic that uh, I'm hopeful, I guess. I wouldn't say optimistic, but I'm hopeful that Jeff Sessions is kind of playing it slow. But at the same time, we're going on two years here, and there's been a few things that he said that made me uncomfortable. You know, he said he'd offer his resignation if Rod Rosenstein were fired. Um, so Sessions said, Rod Rosenstein absolutely needs to go. Um, as you mentioned earlier, his wife, Lisa Barsoomian, she's actually personally represented Bill Clinton. Uh, so they're, they're part and parcel of the swamp. And, yeah, I, I, uh, I think things are going to shake up in the next six months, I would say, probably after the midterms for the Mueller probe. I mean, we know the Mueller probe has nothing, according to Peter Strzok. You know, Peter Strzok's own text messages say there's no there there. So this is really just an operation to, you know, as an insurance policy. They never thought Hillary would lose, which is I have to keep reminding myself of that. Like, how could they be so brazen? I mean, why would you use your FBI device to kind of plot and scheme how to 
block a presidential candidate. It's it's uh, unconscionable. But you know, you keep coming back to they just thought Hillary was going to win, and all the polls said Hillary would win. James Comey admitted the reason he gave his 11th hour just before the election announcement that they were reopening the Clinton investigation. He said that, well, if the polls had been differently, meaning if Hillary, if it were closer, if it looked more like Hillary was going to lose, he probably wouldn't have made that announcement. So they, they were sure they had it in the bag. And, uh, you know, I really hope we can turn a page on this. And I hope, I hope uh, Trump puts in the right people to make sure this kind of thing never happens again. Well, you know, I, I think what Comey did when he made that an 11th hour announcement, as you call it, uh, about reopening the email investigation, I think he was thinking that he could raise sympathy for her and increase her votes, and it backfired on him badly. I don't, I don't think he realized how dis, uh, disenfranchised the American people are with our government today. It, it, he thought he would actually get sympathy for her and get votes, honestly. Because remember, Comey went on the interview later on bragging how his wife and daughters were marching the day after the inauguration with their pink pussycat hats on. I'm not going to call them what they called. And <laughs> I, was, I was staying at a home uh, just a couple of blocks directly behind the Capitol. And, oh, man, I got some beautiful pictures. I actually stood in front of the apartment in the middle of the street and got a gorgeous picture of the Capitol because we were there at the inauguration. And the next day, they're doing their march right past where we were staying. And he's bragging about his wife and daughters being part of this obnoxious crowd. There's nothing else to, to call it but obnoxious. I mean, I saw a minister uh, the day after the inauguration walking with these women promoting abortion. And I looked at the minister, and I, I said directly to his face, a man of God, and you want to murder innocent babies? And my girlfriend just grabbed me by the arm and goes, you're going to get us into a fight. <laughs> but Comey, uh, you know, this is, this is what we're facing. This is the swamp we're facing, and it's amazing. I mean, look what's going on in Vermont right now. You've got a 14-year-old kid who is an avowed progressive that is – on the ticket to run for governor in Vermont because Vermont does have a, not have a minimum age if you want to run for governor. And he's saying, I've got socialistic and progressive ideas I want to bring to the state. You're freaking 14 years old. Stay in school. <laughs> learn a little bit of life before you try to put your opinion on the 60-year-old. Really. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. It's a great point you made, Annie, about James Comey's wife and daughter too. It's very telling, you know. It's 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 almost sinister how these people, you know, like James Comey or Rod Rosenstein or Robert Mueller, they register as Republican, but you, deep down, you know, where their allegiances really lie, and it's you know to the Almighty government and you know this this idea that social, I mean, socialism is just it's failed in every. Every instance it's been tried, and it's absolutely comical. The example you mentioned from Vermont of a 14-year-old running, I mean, it's kind of uh, very emblematic of how the Democratic Party looks right now. I think 
Yeah, the funniest part is is that he's a write-in ticket, so he was able to garner enough signatures of registered voters to support voting for a 14-year-old. Vermont, I think you need to, to succeed from the union, start your own socialistic communist state, see how well it works, and then I, I bet within one year you'll be rejoining the union. It ain't going to work, Vermont. But see, this is one reason why we have to re- reclaim our educational system, because a recent poll came out where um, it stated that close to 59% of youth today you know, educated in government-run schools, think socialism is, is, you know, far superior than capitalism. And that's frightening to 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 know, you know, going forward with this country. So I think we really have to find a way to reclaim our educational system and put civic civics back into it and um, patriotism and and maybe we have hope for the future. But see, the Democrats, they plan for the long term. And um, we we have to start doing the same thing, too. Yeah, that, wow, that's a sobering statistic, Curtis. I, I had seen a headline about that, and I was just shocked that for the first time ever, the majority of Democrats support socialism. Yeah. Education is absolutely key. Well, we got a question coming in on the phone line. Let me bring this caller in. Uh, he's a friend of the show and former co-host, Cool Mike, and I know he will be buying your book because Mike buys all the books from the authors we have on the show. And plus, he gets it to go into the library <laughs> in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, Cool Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. As I speak, I'm driving by just five houses down from my, just five homes down from my house is a big park, and they have a huge celebration going on, progressive in the park. It's almost like communism in the park. But all these people are setting up their tents, and it's like a carnival or a festival or something like that. The news is broadcasting live from the park. Um, I, I mean, that's how the whole park is filled with just uh, – uh, my question for our guests, by the way, and I will be uh, – um, I'm not at a computer, but I will be emailing the uh, local libraries about purchasing copies of his book. Um, at what point, This is I, I'm asking you for an educated guess, since you kind of have it, an inside track. At what point do you think Trump discovered this is just a complete ploy? And, again, another guess, uh, what do you, where, what do you, where do you see this going? I mean, at one point do you see Trump just, uh, canning everyone. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh wow! Thanks, Mike. That's a great question. Uh, I think I think Donald Trump has known for quite some time. Uh, I mean, we we saw his tweet uh, that said Trump Tower has been wiretapped. I think he probably knew even before that, and that was uh, well before the election. So, and and of course, CNN and others ridiculed Trump endlessly for claiming that Trump, ta- wired, Trump Tower had been wiretapped. Well, we then found out, of course, it had been wiretapped, and Paul Manafort had been wiretapped, and Carter Page had been, you know, listened to. And uh, so I, to answer your question, I think he, he knew well before the election. I think he's, he knows far more than he's letting on. Uh, but, it, you know, his Twitter has been 
a buzz as it generally is. And you know that your book's timing is pretty pretty good when the president is tweeting out your talking points. But, uh, you know, just today, fired FBI agent Peter Strzok is a fraud, as is the rigged investigation he started. There was no collusion or obstruction with Russia, of course. So I think he's known, and I think he's really upping the attack. I think it'll probably, I mean, I think any big shakeup will happen, even though we've kind of seen it over the past year and a half. I mean, firing your FBI director is no no small no small moves, uh, but I think after the midterms is when things could get serious. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm jaded and somewhat cynical after years of investigating cronyism and corruption. Uh, but I think, you know, many people would agree it's a different different time. This is a different president, and I don't think he's going to show much mercy. But it, you know, again, it may not be his his call for the indictment. So we may see ten month Martha Stewart kind of plea bargains here. Uh, the Justice Department's kind of notorious for that. So I think it depends on if Sessions is going to hold their feet to the fire and or, or if he even remains and, and who will hold their feet to the fire. So I'm optimistic, but cautiously. Following up on that, yeah. and I don't know that you can answer this, it's just the guy who worked for the Clintons, who obviously knew too much, uh, Vince Foster, uh, the, the, their version of Vince Foster. I I don't even remember his name. He obviously knew a lot. They shot him during the election. They killed him, clearly. Claimed it was a mugging in D.C., of course. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Um, there was a, I think he was a you're, guy. You're probably talking about Seth Rich. Yeah, Seth Rich. Yes. Is, that a, is that a forgotten matter? Is that a forgotten matter? Like Vince Foster, I you know I don't I I really don't know I know that the murder has obviously not been solved I know that there's been <laughs> hundreds of thousands hundred thousand dollar plus rewards offered for any information I know the circumstances were very suspicious I do mention this in the book uh, the the book kind of the first chapter is called the insurance policy and it launches into how how this whole Russiagate story started, and it really all starts with the DNC email breach and the leaking to WikiLeaks, and it's a really very interesting time frame. It's in uh, it's uh, it's 2016, just before the GOP convention, uh, late June. Julian Assange, the the head of WikiLeaks tweets out, we have Hillary Clinton's email, or maybe it's we have, it might be just we have uh, the DNC or we have emails that are not going to reflect well on Hillary. And then you kind of see this effort from the left and from the media, their media allies, to start building this story that Russia has hacked the DNC. I mean, there's no evidence of it, there's no evidence to support it. But they, they say that, you know, Russia is going to – and it's a way of kind of poisoning the well. If, if one of our adversaries is attacking us, well, then you can't read that. So it, it's a very smart move. It's kind of my enemy, the Russians, and my enemy are friends rather than the enemy of my enemy is friends. My enemies are friends. And uh, it, so it all starts right there, and you have this crowd strike. It's this contractor that the DNC hired to investigate the hacked or leaked emails from their server. 
Well, that's connected to Perkins Coie. It was, it was paid for by the law firm that financed Fusion GPS. And so it's, it's totally a Democrat operation. They refuse to turn their servers over to the FBI. James Comey says this says that, you know, they wouldn't let us have their servers. And so it's just shocking that the whole Russia collusion narrative is predicated on a hacked server that nobody's ever verified. And it kind of just builds its way from there. Um, but uh, you mentioned Seth Rich, and I, I mentioned him in my book. I don't, I don't have, I don't take a position one way or the other. I just, I don't know. But I will say Donna Brazil, the former, former chairwoman, of the DNC wrote a book called Hacks just after the election. And she mentions Seth Rich repeatedly throughout her book and dedicates her book to Patriot Seth Rich. And, you know, kind of leads one to wonder, is this a kind of a shot across the bow at the, the Clinton campaign, the Clinton operation, or was it just a marketing stunt or does she really know something about Seth Rich? But yeah, yeah. His murder has not been solved. You know, he was high enough level within the DNC in the tech department to have access to the emails. You know, he's high enough level that Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the chairwoman who replaced uh, Don, or I'm sorry, the chairwoman who preceded Donna Brazil, she eulogizes Seth Rich. So he's, you know, he's not a low level kind of staffer like they paint him. He's a guy who had access to this stuff. And you can see on YouTube, there's a video. He's, he's a proud Bernie supporter, and there's a video of him kind of questioning the uh, the voter role integrity. And, there, and you know, some listeners may recall uh, Bernie Sanders accused the Democrat Party of kind of stifling the voter rolls or deregistering people. It happened in Brooklyn. 100,000 people showed up to vote, and, you know, it turned out they weren't registered. So it's kind of this voter suppression within the primary, and kind of back to the WikiLeaks and the whole Russia collusion narrative, it's, it's expo- the WikiLeaks David? were exposing through emails. It was, so it's not, it wasn't like some disinformation campaign. It was a peeling back of the layers. But anyway. Well, Seamus, we, we got our next guest in the line. I want you to stay with us because I think the two of you dovetail really well together. we got Michael Doherty on the line. I'm going to bring him on in just a minute. So, Michael, I see you there. But we do have a question because uh, I don't know if you are aware that we are videoing live on YouTube and Facebook. And out of Facebook, Wilhelm asks that if uh, with all the research you did in your book, which is called Compromise, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption, he wants to know if it's going to be enough to put Comey and Mueller away, uh, do you think that they're untouchable, or do you think what you've put in your book is enough to help to incriminate them and maybe start an investigation? Well, I one of the recommendations I make in the book is, I mean, we need more honest investigation. This really needs, we need to get to the bottom of this. I think Congress has been doing a great job, particularly uh, Devin Nunes and uh, Charles Grassley has been just an outspoken voice for transparency. So those are, those are great guys. I know Jim Jordan, he's, he's been fighting. Uh, Matt Gates down from Florida has been fighting for more information. So I hope that they are held accountable. Uh, there's no precedent for them being held accountable. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see about that. I think, 
I think we'll have to get to the bottom of it. I think the Mueller probe will wrap up as they've obviously, I mean, it's been concluded by numerous congressional committees that there's been no collusion. Even Peter Strzok says there's no there there. So I'm not sure what exactly they're looking for. I think it is a witch hunt. Um, so, but that has to conclude first. Otherwise, you know, the left will be apoplectic, not that they aren't already. But I think, I think, you know, each passing day, more and more information comes out. Um, you know, if, if uh, Sessions has got this U.S. attorney, this federal prosecutor out in Utah, John Huber, he's looking into it. I know the uh, Clinton Foundation has been under investigation. And that's one more thing I wanted to talk about before I, I – I'll have to get off the call at about 310 in about five minutes. But uh, the FBI has been running – the field office in Little Rock, Arkansas, has been running an investigation into the Clinton Foundation. And uh, the, there were About field time. offices across the country. I know. Well, after after Clinton Cash came out, if your listeners are aware, that was the book we produced in uh, April 2015. It came out. FBI field offices across the country opened investigations into the pay-to-play allegations. And that's uh, this. My book, Compromise, kind of picks up where Clinton Cash left off. And there's a whole chapter in my book, Chapter Two, dedicated to the Russian. Uranium One scandal, and how James Comey, oh. Robert Mueller, Rod Rosenstein, Andrew McCabe, and actually Mueller's pit bull, so-called pit bull, Andrew Weissman, who is one of the top lawyers on the special counsel investigation, he was involved in the cover-up of Uranium One. And so chapter two is all about these Russian uranium schemes. I mean, there was a bribery, a large-scale bribery scheme I mean, these go right back to Putin. So if, if they want to see Russian collusion, they yeah. obviously need to look at Hillary Clinton. But she took $145 million. I'll let you, I'll let you get to the break, and uh, if I can stay with you, then I can kind of close it out. But uh, otherwise, I've got to jump at 310. Okay. Uh, well, let's welcome aboard uh, Michael Doherty. He's the author of The Devil in the Beltway, uh, longtime friend of the show. Michael, I, I can't believe I have now entered my eighth year doing this show, and I think I had you on in year two, so you've been on the show on and off. Yeah, because justice years. moves at a snail's pace, but uh, <laughs> you just have to, you have to have years, decades, millions, and, and, and unbelievable patience. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Ed. God bless you for sticking in there. But you know, you've been able to take what was giving you a sour pill and turn it into you know a silk purse. And, and the talent you have for doing that, thank you for that. And you persevere. And you have been stuck in the middle of this swamp within uh, D.C. You've been th- with the deep state <laughs> attacking you, and you still come out smelling roses. <laughs> Well, I mean, the thing about I I think that happened uh, for the listeners is that, you know, I founded a medical facility. It was hacked. It was 2008. uh, And and they wanted me to pay them to fix it. They were they were hacking companies, but they weren't saying they were hacking. They were saying they were finding things out in cyberspace. and They'd like to fix it for you. When we didn't believe them. They got retaliatory and turned us over to the government. And the government's looking for companies to persecute for not having uh, good data security practices. The problem is the government's so used to power 
they have that they don't require knowledge and they do not have accountability and so they and everyone rolls over the corp, the companies that they go after typically just write the checks and roll over because they don't have the time for the fight or the bad media and i was in a uniquely different spot since we had 700,000 cancer patients in the database we're a medical facility and by Settling with them, the press releases alone would have destroyed the company. So I, I, I basically, they didn't understand through their ignorance that they were killing the company either way. And my only choice was which way did I want the company to die. So I chose fighting, and I wrote the book The Devil Inside the Beltway, which which launched a congressional investigation, which launched the lessons learned about how little power Congress has, because so many people in Congress. Uh, want to cover up anything that criticizes the government, including national security violations, including lying, including crime, because they want, if, if the populace does not buy into the government being the savior, these people are out of work. And so uh, this is what the big fight does. And I, I completely inadvertently got thrown in the middle of it, but it was amazing to watch the media uh, not report it, the media be afraid to tick people off, the the complete corruption and backroom communications that are completely against all the founding principles of the judiciary system. Um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. And yet finally, you know, you, you crawl through and you win the judge lottery, and most of them are not great. But we won the judge lottery with uh, in the 11th Circuit, and the FTC got a stinging um, judgment against them June of this year, over 10 years later. So part of the big oh, offense no. is draining you dry. I mean, even when there, people say we won. Well, the company's destroyed. Lives are ripped apart. You can't recover. You know, I'm a decade older. Um, everyone lost their job. Um, physicians' offices. The physicians wrote an amicus brief on my behalf. So you have an agency trying to save the world, and yet in the amicus briefs were doctors and tech people telling them they don't know what they're doing. Um, but the government protects its own, and, um, it and that's where party affiliations disappear. Absolutely. I know, Seamus, you, you've got like about 30 seconds left with us, so I want to thank you for joining us. Your book has been released today. People can get it up on Amazon. It's called Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption. But it's not just the FBI. It's all the DOJ, the CIA, the NSA, and every other alphabet soup out there. It, it, we've got rampant corruption within government, but it has got to be exposed. And I thank you for writing this book and being with us today. It's been great, Annie. Thank you so much, and thank you, Curtis, and, and thank you, Michael. I will check out your book. That looks that looks great. So thank yeah, you well, I've got all, all sorts of stuff about FBI corruption. We'll have to chat. i got more more chapters for you. <laughs> Absolutely. That, we, that may have, we may have a collaboration I, here. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. I'll, uh, I'll, get your, I'll get your email, Annie, and I'll shoot you an email, and maybe you can link us up. Yeah, that'd be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, one of the things I love, Michael, about doing this show is that I never know where – at least a couple of times a month I end up getting people to collaborate with each other. <laughs> I have the eagle. It's not about me. It's not my ego. Well, it's just you don't know. I mean, how do you go from this type of um, – you know, this type of, of, of cybersecurity? This really isn't a cybersecurity story. It's really a government incompetence 
then goes to corruption cover-up story. I mean, the original sin, I mean, we always knew something was wrong, and I just wouldn't go along to settle. But it took a and then writing the book, which, listen, if when you say you're going to write a book about the government, people think you're nuts. But, when I, but I wrote that book, and because it was well-written and well-done, it got a lot of attention, and it got the attention of the House Oversight Committee. At a time where the House Oversight Committee was not the House Cover-Up Committee, most of our nation's history, the House <laughs> Oversight Committee is theatrical. It's the House Cover-Up Committee, where everyone like agrees non-verbally that we're all just going to not hold each other accountable, and, and, our, and, our, and the R and the D doesn't matter. And this is why when Daryl Issa broke the, the mold and started going after IRS and Benghazi, people were freaking out, including John Boehner. And so, you know, they do not like flipping the way, quote-unquote, things are done around here. And the way things are done on the Hill are you go along to get along or you get a gun to your head. You get iced out. You get demoted. You are banished to irrelevancy. And you either sit there and watch your life pass or you leave. Uh, you know, and Daryl... Um, Ironically, like not like Trump in a lot of ways, but, but but another near billionaire, so wealthy he really doesn't have any obligations to anybody, and um, and so he didn't really care what John Boehner wanted or you know what any what anyone. He burned a lot of bridges and he and he ruffled a lot of feathers, but he is the one that really launched finally people you know the the nation watching these bureaucrats come and testify in front of Congress. And nothing happened to them. And at first, everyone was blaming him. Like, what do you, you know, why aren't you holding them accountable? Now we're learning, you know, the Congresses of the past, where all these congressmen are dead and buried, they're the ones that built these systems of 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 criminal immunity, no accountability. Uh, They they voted, they created this beast, and it's gotten quite big, and uh, it's very unruly. And what we're seeing right now is it's really fighting for its its life and survival and not wanting to be exposed. And and they will do all sorts of terrible things to not get exposed. Because the last thing I'll say is, and I say this a lot when I speak, people don't understand. Bureaucrats outnumber Republicans plus Democrats by about 10 to 1. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to pretend this is some sort of partisan debate, you're going along with the game. It really is the people that are just so broad broad in number in Washington that have no election and no accountability. You know, it's funny because when I was married to my first husband uh, and he was in the Marine Corps, um, they wanted, they were trying to get me to work inside uh, the civilian side of the, the offices there. And I started talking to people, and I said, you know, you know, exactly what do you do? What are the jobs up there that, you know, I can apply for? And they said, well, you know, it's it's government union. Uh, you go in, and you just go through these levels. You just do your job, and that's it. And I said, well, you know, you don't look to find innovative ways to do things. You don't find ways to do things. No, no, no. You do that, you rock the boat. There's no rocking the boat. You know, these are sweet jobs. You come out with a really nice pension and everything's fine and Jim Dandy. You just go along to get along. And I said, here I am. I'm a business person. 
And that's not how I function. I'm always constantly looking for new areas, new things to learn, new things to do, how to make things more efficient. But that's not how government works. And you look at the little guy, and then you start going up the chain ladder. You go up the food chain, and no wonder why there's rampant corruption. Because everyone's looking out for their own back and not for the American people. It's and no what's appalling about that is I, I always say they're exploiting patriotism. They're exploiting patriotism, and it's, in, it's a survival mode. When you're in a survival situation, you don't care about anything. I mean, morals, ethics, law, doesn't matter. You're in survival. And, and these, this is a great gig. I mean, once you get that great gig, you know, if you threaten it, you threaten everybody else, and those guns will turn on you. And that's what happens in the bureaucracies. That's what happens in Congress. You know, Nancy Pelosi ruins rules with one massive iron fist. And, and and nothing's worse than being a Democrat below her, because it's just nothing but Shark Tank power. Um, Boehner tried that. That doesn't work with Republicans, because most Republicans come from the w- real world. So there'll be more turnover, there's more instability, there's more fighting. But what's good about it, and what's good that Daryl did, and, you know, of course, did Jason Chaffetz continue it? Heck no. Um, but the what is that he showed people. You know, and people are getting because people know something's wrong. And the reason people know something's wrong is when things people know what hits their house and their family and their pocketbook. And technology and medicine by these bureaucrats has been ripped to shreds. Every year since the year 2000, we have more data being lost. It's not getting any better. The government has done nothing. It actually the the government as it is in Washington is the perfect type of government to to leave us open to attack. Because there's no accountability and there's and knowledge is not required, so you just have a bunch of lawyers, you know, which is a mess. And in medicine, it's it's worse because the Democrats really understood how they could gaslight and build a narrative in the minds of Americans that something's wrong with the medical community. Medicine's never perfect because health is never perfect. The human body's never perfect. But they somehow got in people's brains that there was something wrong, so they could sell them as the solvers. They you know, and, and now we have the other side of that mountain, and it's an absolute fiasco. But because most people are healthy and don't experience the medical community till much later in life, if they don't die suddenly, because you don't become a medical, you're not familiar with medicine when you go to the doctor. That That's like thinking you know aviation when you fly Delta. Um, it, it's the perfect storm of people to fool because they really don't have any education as a consumer. And so they like to think they're being nice, and they like to think they care about others. So you start playing the poverty card and the health card, and and there's absolutely no reason to engage yourself in reality. It's a complete fiasco. But what's terrifying is the failure is so obvious in people's premiums. It's so obvious in their premiums and their deductibles and their shrinking networks and their longer lines for care. But it's not, it's not obvious to any stories coming out in the media because the media is a silencing machine. You know, so it's well, pretty man. incredible. But, um, <laughs> that's that's a know. huge understatement, the media being a silencing machine. You know, uh, the, you look at, you've got a small, narrow area of media that you may get an iota of truth. And lately my husband and I have started turning off satellite news and turned on local news. Cause at least you get something somewhat of a truth out of local news but even then it's slanted and it's it, it's hard 
unless you go to an outlet like ours and like some of the others that are up in the chat room that, that run their own shows, you don't know what the other side of the story is. You only hear one side of the coin. And it's right. all doom and gloom. Uh, it's like uh, Trump is evil and Antifa is good. I'm sorry, Antifa is good. Antifa is fascism. Well, I, I, they're more sublime than that. Is. I mean, I, I, you know, they, they, I mean, you saw the MSNBC thing a couple days ago where they talk about, well, the police provoke this and they like. It's just amazing. I, I you know, but but look. If people are going to eat the junk, the junk is going to be continue to be manufactured. I'm just wondering, when are one of these media outlets going to fail? You know, what is sustaining them? You know, Soros certainly is a major sustainer. He feels very, uh, I think, more desperate than he used to, and he's questioning. But it's a gargantuan failure. I mean, the whole grand social experiment of the Obama administration has been a gargantuan failure. But what's terrifying is that people aren't learning from their mistakes. They, I've never seen such narcissism where people just don't want to believe that they were wrong. If you, if you truly want to learn in life, you are always going to make mistakes, and that, in, that information is incredibly valuable, and you improve and you change and you adapt. But there's so many in the political world that just you know, gaslight themselves with, oh, no, we just needed more time. Or we need more money. I mean, you know, and they—it's just—it's—it's it's, it's a pretty amazing stuff. I mean, but but then when you have people like Debbie Wasserman Schultz on TV all night long, I mean, you know, it can pull your hair out. <laughs> Michael or Matthew Waters or Nancy Pelosi. You can go through all the whole list of. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Go ahead, Curtis. We we have to deal with the Clintons today, and and today's time. But I'm thinking about the future. Do you think um, they are grooming Chelsea to to take over the helm? She's like the family money inheritance. I mean, you know, I I don't. I I, I, they're so out of touch with the younger generation. I mean, I I don't. I don't think that. I think I think millennials and and younger are very different um, because they've got freedom power in their hands. And uh, and and they were born at a time when the internet was completely unrestricted. And these powerful classes, like the Clintons and any other socialistic or dictatorship or political class, will want to restrict the internet. And that's when those people will turn on them on a dime. There's no, I don't think there's any. I mean, look, I, I think the media takes Antifa. Well, look what happened last weekend. How, how many quote unquote white nationalists showed up? Twenty, twenty-five. And 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 they they were just they were just dying for a microcosm that they could blow up to make it look like it was a stadium fall, and it just shows their complete lack of credibility. And so, um, I don't know the Clintons. I mean, I'm like, nah. I mean, she's just that just ain't gonna. And, and let's just praise God. There's only one child. Well, I, you know, I it's know just they were too busy tab- to reproduce. I know this sounds kind of tabloid, but is there any evidence that? Webb Hubble might be Chelsea's father. Oh, we've been through that. You know, it's like we'll never know. If you lay that up next to each other, it is a bit crazy, isn't it? But um, but you, you just wonder how could Chelsea be, you know, um, Hillary's daughter? Because I don't know a man that would want to really be with her. So there's all sorts of legitimate questions. <laughs> okay. so, but I, I've seen that a million times. And we times, go downhill but, from here. 
I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think that unless we can get some 23 and me in there real fast, I don't think we're going to get the real straight answer. We've we've never gotten a straight answer from those people. <laughs> I heard that Vince Foster might have been one of her lovers. I don't know. Oh, that was a test sad tale. That's mm. another sad tale. Uh, but what happens to people is that you come all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and idealistic, and then you come, and it's 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 such a shock. Um, and I think it's good that people now understand that something's wrong, um, but it's such a shock that it's so demoralizing to many people. It's just too much if you work your whole life towards something and then you find out that it is it is a, a grand illusion, and it is the Sopranos go to Washington. I mean, it's hard for some people to take and to know that you are part of it. I mean, I'm lucky that I've never been a part of it, and I, I try to make it a sport to kick them in the knees because the one thing about these people, they've got the largest egos known to man and the thinnest skin. So it's always fun getting upset, but it is, isn't much of a challenge, but... Yeah, I've I've worked in medicine all these years with people that actually work in cancer and surgery and, and health, and those people really have a sense of um, purpose. And but these politicians that think they're so fantastic, I'm like, I can't understand why, you know. So um, it's just uh, it's really crazy. And so I, I do like um, I do like kicking sand in their eyes. It's fun. They need to be brought down several pegs. It's rope a dope. <laughs> It's become right. rope a dope. <laughs> I mean, right. you look at Amorosa and uh, what's this one now um, that's running in uh, New York, uh, this female socialist, and she gets into the bright lights of the uh, newsrooms and they start asking her serious questions and she's like a deer caught in the headlights. It's like, ah, uh, duh. You know, she didn't even know Nancy Pelosi was former Speaker of the House. She didn't know who the, uh, the Democratic Party leader was, Tom Perez. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> you're running for a national political office. You should have a modicum of intelligence there, but she lacks it completely. So it, yeah, it, but this it, is what happens when people don't show up for primaries. I mean, you talk about the, the few people that show up for these things. It's the way you can you can get in the back door. You know, that was just, I mean, that was a massive upset, but that also was, I mean, who showed up to vote? You know, and this is what happens when you don't, when, when you don't have any type of turnout, I mean these type of, you know, and but just it just fits. I mean, the, the media is utterly relentless because they're just they're playing for ratings and drama and eyeballs. They've reduced themselves to nothing more than trying to find the latest roadkill, and they can't even you know they can't even see it um, because they're so arrogant themselves. They refuse to look, but it's absolutely shameless. You know, all they do is ask, you know, when when have you stopped beating your wife? And they think they're saving women by asking that question. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Talk about beating wives. Keith Ellison. Oh, man, he has just hit the news big time. Uh, right, and somehow girlfriend. they'll blame the right for that. Right? Only the left yeah. could take Harvey Weinstein and blame Trump for it. Okay, because, um, uh, you know, and, and somehow and you watch. I mean, there is no logic. It doesn't matter. They'll twist it and twist it and twist it. And uh, so, yeah, no, we'll and see, and we'll see if there's any accountability and how long it has legs in the media. Uh-huh, exactly, exactly. Do you think I possibly will bring Keith Ellison down? No, because he'll end up having the same Teflon that the Clintons have, and there'll be a reason why he'll keep his seat. 
But here well, we they eat he their own. So it depends on what happens. It's awfully early, and they eat their own. You know, and you saw Al Franken go out the door. You know, for lesser deeds. So I don't know. Oh, but they won't. They still won't change their stripes. You know. No, no, and Al Franken is trying to come back in again. So he's he's making noises in the background. Whether or not to let him in the door or not, we'll find out. But well, that's like the I Elizabeth Kubler. That, that's like the seventh yeah. stage of death and dying. He's just he's just so upset that he can't take it. But you know, it's <laughs> well, it's the hypocrisy. It is, it is. I want to take you back to something you said a little bit earlier on in the show. You mentioned about the progressives trying to take over the Internet, and there is definitely a move to uh, get this comprehensive data protection legislation out there. And this has been coming out. It was a leaked memo circulating among Senate Democrats uh, that contains a host of different things in there purportedly to protect us and get tough on Russian bots and fake news. Um, they want to save the American trust in our institutions, democracy, free press, and markets. And they want this comprehensive data protection legislation, sort of like what the uh, EU has done. And it's been penned by Senator Mark Warner. And when I read what was in this thing, and it's uh, also being hosted by Axos, which our former guest, Sean uh, Seamus Bruno wrote about in his book, uh, they want to actually take over and regulate the Internet to have you authenticated before you can post on social networks, to have you geo-positioned to make sure that they know where you are when you make that post. This is scary. And unfortunately, Google and Facebook and several other social networks are already doing this. Well, it's it's to save you, you know. It's all about, um, you know, we, we we they're 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 saving us from ourselves because they're they know more, and um, it, it's it it's 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 incredible. I mean, it's it's the same thing as as taking away free speech if you aren't saying what they agree with. They don't they don't understand. There's a difference between being free to make a fool of yourself versus. I mean, it's. It, it's truly terrifying, uh, it, but it is the Democratic Party right now. I mean, it is the Democratic Party right now. It's completely – it's power. It's subversion. It is we're ultimately right, therefore rules don't matter, laws don't matter because we're right, and then they get lost, and they turn into these absolute animals. I mean, the Democratic Party, if, if JFK were alive, they – I mean, it's just it's – there's just nothing, nothing to what it once no. was, nothing. And um, you know, but so they have to um they have to find the flames and hysterics to draw attention to themselves. And we'll I, I will I will be, we'll see what happens here. I mean the reason I think the volume's so high right now is because uh you think sixteen was important, the elections of eighteen are a big deal because they wanna stop all these investigations. They wanna stop all these masks of virtue from being ripped off everyone's face to see the corruption that really goes on. And they can't do that unless they get the house back and get people like Devin Nunes out of power. And um they they have a sh- they, and they should have a huge shot. Historically they should have a huge shot. But they have a mild shot only because there's so many retirees, most of which are rhinos. You know, because the power in Washington isn't just the left. It's the left plus rhinos equals a supermajority. 
So um, if we survive this and still keep the majority, it's a great thing because, you know, we have to continue or else there'll be a, a boomerang and, you know, all these things will go away and all the, um, you know, the, 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 the investigations will slow down. Because as we're seeing, who can we rely on to get the truth and have people held accountable for criminal acts on the government? Not the FBI so far. Not the DOJ. No. That whole crowd is another no. crowd. They think they run the country as well. So we've got no one enforcing the law, um, and that's that's terrifying on itself. They'll they'll be happy to rip you to shreds. They'll come down on you with an axe like you've never seen if you're not one of them, in the name of justice. But you know, I I get the um, I get the the DOJ's uh, Office of Inspector General report, and last weekend. There was um, there was a, a, a really disheartening disheartening uh, uh, notice from the OIG, and basically what it's what it said was, and I want to try to find it here real fast because it's really it's really worth um, it's really worth noting. But give me just a, a second to try to find it. But the bottom line is there there's you know there's a a rogue. Uh, you know, um, agent, and the OIG writes all about him. And after all this, there's no there's no accountability. It says, Office of Inspector General Investigative Summary, findings of misconduct by FBI Special Agent for receiving gifts from a former FBI confidential human source, using the source after deactivation, protecting the source and the source's illegal business, misusing FBI assets for personal gain, lack of candor, and computer security policy violations, blah, 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 blah. And then they have two paragraphs going in depth, and the last thing says was criminal prosecution of this person was declined. <laughs> oh so you God. have this scathing investigation, and then it says criminal prosecution was declined. The OIG has completed its investigation, provided support to the FBI for appropriate action. So, you know, what? what? I mean, the OIG can't go after people. They just report. And if the FBI refuse, you know, chooses to look the other way, what does one do? Uh, you oh. know, so it, it's 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 really it's it's, he's, uh, he's it's not terrifying. Even fired? He's not even fired. Oh uh, no, not fired, not even in trouble. Hold um, on. So this that's that's flabbergasted. If you could send me a copy of that, I'd love to take a look at that. Oh my goodness, is that something I can sign up for and get copies of? Say that again. I said, is that a, a link or website that I can go on to? Yeah, and, I can and get it to you. Um, I don't know if you can link it, but I can send it to you. It's it's, uh, and I'll be happy to to send it to you. I'll be happy to. Uh, you just have to to ping me your email address. It, you, you, I don't know how I don't know how to get the Office of Inspector General. Um, but this is so, a um, record that anyone can look at, right? Yeah, it is public record. I just don't know how to get to it publicly because um, it, it is, uh, uh, you know, it's it's. I, I ha- I'm on the auto mail, so I don't know how to get it. Um, so, but I can I can you know tell you um, after if you want to get me some sort of link or you know I can I can send it to you. I can I can put you my email on our Facebook connection and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. But this is this. If, if you or I, as a civilian, were to do half of what they are doing there, 
we would be behind bars for the next 40 years. But instead, this government employee who's part of the swamp, who has committed criminal acts as an employee of our federal government, retains their job, retains their pension and benefits, and does not get prosecuted. That is amazing. And yet, evidently, par for the course. I don't know. I mean, look what, you know, look how hard it was to get that guy fired yesterday. I mean, I, so, mm, this is what we have to, have to, this isn't exactly new, by the way, right? I mean, the whole world knew Hoover was blackmailing everyone for decades. This is not a 21st century phenomenon, but it's a culture that needs to get cleaned up. Well, maybe maybe that's the idea. As long as you have the dirt on someone inside a government position, you leave them in that position because then you can manipulate them and make them do what you need them to do. Well, maybe welcome to Washington. Purpose. That's yeah. why everyone wa- that, that's why everyone whistles past their graveyard. I mean, it's just it, the, the issue is the American public. If the American public doesn't get these stories and they see these things, and they still believe the Kool Aid that we're taught. You know, in elementary school, where I say now our civics books belong right between Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz, and you know because they're half truths. I mean, they're 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 civics books about the 19th century. They're not civics books about now or the 20th century. Michael, um, uh, if Trump gets another four years, do you Katie think bar he the will? <laughs> do you think he will be able to bring down at least? Some of the the deep state, if not all of it. Oh yeah, because got enough to lose. He's done. You know, I mean, he he'll be finished, and and uh, and so then he will, you know, not own anything. That's that's the thing that terrifies them. <laughs> that's why they're working so hard to stop it now. Well, you know, so, the best thing know, I would love to see is uh, I would love to see another four years of Trump. And then followed by eight years of Mike Pence. So then we can try to undo in those 16 years what has been done for the past several decades. Well, let's just see if Mike isn't Mike. Mike, Let's just see if Mike has the same stomach. I don't know if he will. (laughs) So I mean, these are insiders. You know, these are insiders. So I don't know if he would take the same torch. I mean, you'd be surprised how how people work. I'm not so sure he would have the same type of of things. He might for social conservative topics, but the general, you know, corruption period, the end, I I don't know. Well, you have to admit Trump has a certain moxie about himself. He doesn't care. (laughs) Well, that's the point. He doesn't need their money or their influence. He owes nobody anything. Exactly. And so um, that's the power. But how many people are going to be like that, right? I mean, he didn't crawl up to the political system, and he's got billions of dollars. How many? How many people uh, are like that? Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, is and, and Robert in the chat room just posted up, and which is I was going to say is that Trump does have the evangelicals behind him, something that our previous Republican presidents did not truly have, and that's a powerful force. Um, some people think it's, an, it's something bad, but I think in truth it's something good because God is coming back 
into the public forum. And people are now no longer afraid to bring God forward. I mean, the left is cringing, which is why they're screaming more and more. You mentioned the Antifa demonstration the other day that had a total of 20 people show out. There was more press there than there were demonstrators. And i got to say something to those men and women out there that were the cops, the first responders out there holding the line. I don't know if I could do that today. I mean, I've been there on the riot lines back in the 80s, uh, and... Holding your tongue is really, really hard. But when I saw them within just inches of a cop's face, hurling spit at them and cursing them out and everything, I don't know if I could do yeah, that. I don't know. You know, I come from I a law enforcement family, and I, I don't get that. I mean, I, I grew up in Detroit, and I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> I, I, they, they would have been cuffed and down and gone in milliseconds. I mean, milliseconds. Yeah. Who do they think they are? You know, but I, you know, this is where the, because the media is becoming part of uh, the media is actually part of the problem here because they're not supporting law enforcement, and so the media is sitting there spinning, and so they're forcing police officers to take this stuff and pause the millisecond to decide because because you're going to have to worry about all the political pushback and the media pushback later. And that's tough. I mean, there's enough people now because what really scares me isn't is the number of people that don't get it. That's what bothers me. Like, you know, remember when when Whoopi Goldberg went nuts over Judge Janine a few weeks ago? What bothered me the most was the, the audience applauding wildly. Like, how stupid are these people? that they don't understand what's going on. And that's the problem, and that's because none of them have any education of, of American history anymore. They just don't get it. And, and, and then, you know, they're just, they're marionettes. They're, they're fools. And, you know, this is the, and the irony they don't, they don't you know, seem to, to, to gather is, you know, it's, it was, you know, <laughs> I go back to Harvey Weinstein. I mean, Hollywood is the culture of this decadence. Hollywood, and it's it's creating this narrative and story that supports this liberal uh, mindset for the last 60, 70 years. No one picks up the irony. And Meryl Streep is now on stage, right, you know, complaining about him and still blaming it on – I mean, they they, um, they seem to – turn around and go and think that, well, it's Trump's fault. I find that incredible. All that's gone on is because of the Internet and the, the, the uh, new ways of having entertainment, uh, the movie guys have lost all their monopoly power, so no one needed to take his crap anymore, so they stopped taking his crap. You know, and, and this is why all these tyrants, whether it be these sexual abusers or political abusers, they're all afraid of freedom, and they're all afraid, and they're afraid of freedom of communication. So, well, and they'll say how much junk is on the internet, but and that's true. There is junk on the internet. You got the freedom to have a lot of junk, but there's a, there's a lot of good stuff to get through, and this drives the powerful class nuts. It scares them across the board. You know, look at China. Well, look, at, look at these. It definitely does, because one of the places that you actually write articles for is Media Equalize. We were supposed to have Brian Maloney on, but he had to cancel last minute. And I had oh, mentioned earlier bad. about 
Yeah, I, just, I was unfortunate. I got an email late last night and said, oh, well. And that's when I got a hold of, uh, who was it? Uh, was it Jonathan or AJ? One of them had sent me a quick text. I think it was AJ. That said, AJ. Said, well, get Michael to call Get Michael to call in a few minutes early, which I'm glad you did. God bless you. You know, you and I have known each other, you know, on the air here for, for a long number of years, ever since you first wrote the book, The Devil in the Beltway. And I think I was one of your first interviews. Uh, but I bring you back to this comprehensive data protection legislation they're talking about, because everything you're talking about now is in this potential legislation where they want to silence us. They want to turn around and say, well, you've got to prove whether or not it's fake news or real information. You've got to turn around. If someone comes onto your website and posts something, you've got to verify who they are. Now, but they here's the great thing. Here's the, fun, here's the thing. Okay, are people going to understand the following? Okay, notice, here's the left, right, with Mark Warner writing about fake news. Who was the first person that brought up fake news? Wasn't Ted Cruz. The left. No, it was Donald Trump. Donald Trump's the one that brought up fake news. He's the one that branded fake news as starting this campaign. So, you know, they, they will twist anything. They are nothing but psychological projection. You know, they're the fake news machine. <laughs> so they're like, you know, they're a giant game of I know you are, but what am I? I they're just, and they're unconscionable, and they will not stop no matter what, and they will say anything. And what do they want to be? They want to, okay, oh, we can't change the fake news narrative now. Okay, so, so now we'll scare them with fake news, and we'll act like we're the deciders. Key is they're the deciders. They want to be the deciders. They're, you know, so, so they just, they, it's whatever, I mean, they'll move the goalpost to wherever it needs to go, no matter what, for power and control, and fear is a huge motivator. And fear works when you keep your population uneducated, you know, and being oh, in a republic is work. Yeah, absolutely. And now we've got Facebook. Now, you mentioned Judge Janine just a little while ago, and she was a guest on our show, and I put up an ad on Facebook to promote the show. And they turned around, and the show is listed as Southern Sense Conservative Talk. Uh, hello, I say in the title of my Facebook page that I am a conservative talk show. And they turned around and said, refuse to put the ad up because it was political. <laughs> oh, right, and then you had to go through all the, all the, the political filings you know, I won my case in June of 2018. I put an article from The Hill that called me a hero. There was not one political – they said it was political, and I had to go through all that stuff. I know. It's, they're amazing. They're, they're terrifying. Yeah, you have to send them a photo ID to prove you are who you are, and even then they make you jump through hoops. And I found that some of the posts I put up you know, promoting you know, Judge Ginny Hero on the show, they were pulling them down. So you know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm shadow banned on a couple of social networks also, but they're already censoring us. And it's gotten to the point where free speech, you know, you have the right to say whatever it is, but you also have to be able to defend whatever it is you say. So rumors have existed, fake news have existed since man learned how to talk, because there's always been gossip. So why is it all of a sudden someone posting up satire or fake news is a huge crime? 
No, you know, because they threaten their power and they're they're an outsider. There's nothing. Look, look, these these bureaucrats and Democrats. I mean, typically, here's the profile, right? They they whether they came from money or not, they come from some sort of you know organization, whether it be an Ivy League college or or some sort of massive company um, or some big law school, and they go from one big organization to another. So they have no experience out really shoveling their own snow, so to speak, or building their own company or managing their own people or dealing with the ups and downs of being on that side. They're, they're super, super, super insulated. So they just have their thoughts. And they ride that wave and they go through life and they and then they're invested and their skin is in the game and they buy everything. They're not going to believe that they've been their money's been on the wrong wrong bet the whole time. And so then they'll they'll fight because then you get into survival mode. These people are, and then you're taking, you know, they've been dealing in artificiality for years. I call it artificial intelligence. That's academia's artificial intelligence, and they've been dealing with that forever. And you're threatening their very self-concept. You threaten people's self-concept and their self-image and their meaning in life and what their self-worth is. You gotta you gotta you know you got a tiger by the tail. And that's what's going on right now because all these people are getting exposed. And, you know, I don't think they think they're doing one bad thing for one second. I mean, they think no, lying they is part of the game. But the public doesn't understand. No, you know, I mean, I didn't understand. I came to D.C. fighting this. And I, I have to tell you, I felt like I was in Alice in Wonderland. I mean, lying is normal. It's normal. It's yeah, hard to get your head around that. I remember... I remember when I started doing the show and we had uh, uh, talked about your book and everything, I was a neophyte. I had no idea what I was going to dwell into. And I know that you at the time was completely confused. You were confused and you were dealing with something that you were completely out of your league with, dealing with attorneys that weren't even going to help you uh, as much as they claimed to. And it's been a long slog. And, boy, what an eye-opening journey it has been. Oh, it's amazing. And you never know. And uh, you just you just don't know. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating <laughs> because I feel it? like the public is, is right along with us, slightly behind. But when my book came out, you know, it was during Obama was president. It was the devil inside the beltway. And some people would say, that's, that's Obama. I was like, no, it's not Obama. Sorry. And I was very, very, um, very, very aware to not even have him be a topic of the book because it would just, people would just go crazy. Um, but, you know, it, it, we're different now. And, and it's different that people, now you can talk about things. And people believe you, you know, which is good. But it's also sad because we now talk about things like the top of the FBI is corrupt and the top of the Justice Department is corrupt, you know, and the top of all these agencies. And, you know, and, and that it's not just Democratic leadership. But, you know, the, the, the things are changing really, really fast. And But, I, you know, hats off to the Founding Fathers. They saw they know they knew human nature better than anyone else. And the arrogance of, of of this of this people that are alive now is thinking the people that have been dead for two hundred years are dumber than we were. You know, they're I mean they're brilliantly smart with what they lived through and they had much harder lives. Hmm? All right. Uh we we 
seem to have a uh, caller in on the line. Let me bring this individual in. Area code 818. You're on the air live with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie, the radio chick. Our guest is Michael Doherty, author of The Devil in the Beltway. To whom am I speaking? Greetings in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Pastor Don Jr., CEO of the Entertainment Worldwide Network, calling from sunny Mesa, Arizona. It's about 115 degrees. It is burning up hot here. How y'all doing today, Sister Annie? I was just in Las Vegas where I think I matched you for 115 to 115. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, we we uh, Las Vegas. Uh, that's where our radio network is based out of. I, I was listening online, man, and I had to call in because, uh, Sister Annie, you just said something that kind of sparked my interest, and I wanted to ask you. You said uh, after Trump, we should have uh, we we should have a 16 year hiatus of a, a of an administration, and I, I just wanted you to kind of expound on what what you really meant about that because. Oh no um, no no! I, what I, what I meant was. Two terms of Trump followed by two terms of Mike Pence. That's what I'm saying, 16 years. You know, 4-4 four, wow. four with Trump, 4-4 four, four with Pence, 16 years. Do you really think as a people we can handle two, two full terms with Trump, too? Oh, sure we can. Uh, if, if, he keeps on, <laughs> if he keeps on this pathway, Michael, I'll let you take that because I think he's on the right path. He may not always be doing it the correct way or saying it correctly, but he's got his back on the no, right no. path. No, no, here's – look, look. Here's the big pitch. Um, so the – the uh, Trump is – you know, Trump is a pot stir. And in a lot of ways, like every president has to learn how to be president. There's no training class for it. So, you know, these first hires he made that are tormenting him in the media the last 48 hours, I mean, that's just a fly in the ointment. The big picture about Trump is that he is not obligated to the go-along-to-get-along infrastructure within Washington that has detached itself from its constitutional obligations to the public. We have just very deeply embedded tumors in the body of America that are sucking the energy and the blood out of it. It's amazing in a lot of ways that we're still alive. And he, his, they can't mold him the way they usually mold people. And they're trying, uh, it is financial, they, they're trying the same playbook they, that works all the time. First is, um, I mean, there, and there's many different types of bolts from many different areas. One is his imperfection. Uh, one is, uh, you know, uh, anything he's done wrong in his life. The other is trying to find crime. Uh, the other is smear him publicly, reputation assassination. These are all things they use all the time. And what the public is seeing is, look, do we have due process in this country or not? Are we innocent till proven guilty? Are we guilty till proven innocent? Because I do believe it was the same crowd that has all this fall moral outrage that were totally fine, and it was all Bill and Hillary Clinton's business, what they did in the privacy of their home or the arrangement of their own marriage. And it was just their business on how they raise money for their nonprofit. Isn't that wonderful that they're raising money for nonprofit? And it, and it, you know, it just didn't matter. And, and NBC held that tape uh, and, uh, for years and, and suddenly found it. You know, and, and so – you know, this is where if you're going to be uh, moral, you can't be selective in morality or you're not being moral. You're being complete slime bag using it. Even, and that doesn't mean two wrongs make a right. But we weren't voting for Pope. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, can I can I make a statement? Um, and, and I want to say this: um, we digest information every five seconds at 280 characters, and we live in an informational age where everybody is a reporter and a cameraman. And now you could talk to millionaires instantly by handing them on social media. The point that I'm making is, since Donald Trump's been president, he's empowered a lot of business owners. We've had more entrepreneurs come out than ever this year, but at the same time. What he says at 3 o'clock in the morning on Twitter representing the greatest country in the world, there's a problem with that because it's sending off the wrong message to the people that don't know what he's really trying to do. If you look at the media coverage he's getting, they're focusing on the negative stuff, but the bills that he's passing every day, nobody's reading them. And then when you really read it, you're like, wow. So I, I just... For me, it's like a bait and switch, and I'm just asking, and that's why I asked the question, how can we go a whole other administration with the bait and switch when uh, we, we want to do it the right way the first time? Well, that's impossible, and and this has not been – this look, this – this whole thing started with Woodrow Wilson in 1914 and 15. That is who started these agencies and gave them power that is completely against the whole principles of what the country was founded on, which was the separation of powers. So we have we have you know the, the legislative branch and the judicial branch and the executive branch sitting on top of the hill, and people understand underneath the, underneath that hill was this growing, growing, growing fourth branch of government that's under the ground of just all these agencies and bureaucracies. And it doesn't impact our daily lives directly, so we don't get it, but it's grown over time, and it's just jumped the shark. Uh, and it is really bad. And it's sort, of, it's sort of like it detached from the mothership and became its own being. And it's, it's like the it's like it got it it's got it on conscious like Frankenstein marching around and it's really bad and you see it in all the agencies you see they and that was given a century to build and it will take more than two terms to pull back because what well, you, Michael, look what they're doing right now to Trump I mean you know I'm like look well, <laughs> he's the, he's elected the president of the United States. they have nothing. They've got nothing. I love that line from Trey Gowdy. I know they have nothing because if if they had something, the Democratic minority leader would have leaked it, <laughs> which is true. What's that jerk's name? Well, um, Michael, Michael yeah. we're, we're down to our last minute, minute and a half, actually. The okay. show has gone so fast, and I'm sorry. I had to cut off all the other callers waiting in there. I want to thank the pastor for calling in and all the others that have joined us. Uh, Michael, your book is The Devil in the Beltway. Uh, I thank you for joining us. We've, we're definitely going to have you back on soon. There's so much to talk about, so much to do. Uh, I extended the show just a couple extra minutes just to get these final words uh, in. DevilInsideTheBeltway.com. The Devil Inside the Beltway, and it's at Amazon, an e-book, audio book, hardcover, and softcover. Duly corrected, Michael. God bless you. And I'll be talking to you, and I want to get a hold of that website. Um, okay. We're going to be back here on Friday. We've got Julio Rivera joining us on Friday, and Brother Ed is going to be joining us on Friday. He's got a film he's working on, and we'll be talking to him about that. Uh, next week, we're going to have Congressman Ted Yoho and a whole bunch of other people. I want to thank the callers that have been in there. I'm sorry I could not get to all of you there. I want to thank everyone that's over in the chat rooms, listening also up on YouTube and Facebook. So I'm going to leave you with our closing sh- uh, song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Until then, I say good night. And God bless. Great show.